And would you have a seat again, please? Welcome. Good morning, everyone. My name is Tim Harris, pastor at Woodburn Baptist Church. Delighted, delighted to be alive and, and worship with you today. Open your Bibles to the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 11. I want to talk about life today. Incidentally, today is the fourth anniversary of Franklin Campus, now to be known as Franklin Community Church. They are making their way toward autonomy, and God is blessing them. They're in two services now. Pastor Eric is still on fire, and we are just blessed and so thankful for what God is doing there. Uh, happy anniversary, Franklin Campus. Love those folks so much. Ecclesiastes chapter 11 is where we'll be preaching. Psalm 24 verse 1 is a, is a fundamental verse in the spiritual life. It simply says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Very, very simple, simple principle, but you can't miss it. It's the fact that God owns everything. God is the owner of everything. Nina uh, was a lady who was flying. When Nina flies, she gets nervous. When Nina gets nervous, she eats. So in the airport waiting for her plane, Nina went into one of those little bookstores and she bought a People magazine and a little bitty, uh, little pouch of chocolate chip cookies. And she went and sat down in a chair. Uh, she started reading her People magazine and, and as she was reading, she heard a rustling sound as she looked over and the man next to her had his hand in her bag of cookies. And so she thought it was probably some sort of mistake. He doesn't understand this. So, so when he took his hand out, she put her hand in just as a silent way of showing him, this is mine. She put her hand in and smiled, and then she ate a cookie. And he looked at her really strange. She went back to read her magazine. And the minute she heard rustling again, he was back in her bag. He had his hand in her bag of cookies again, and he was just eating cookies out of her bag. And it really started to bother her. So she put her hand in. This time a, a little ugly. She looked at him and put her hand, her hand in that bag and put a cookie in her mouth. Stared him right in the face. Just wanted him to know, back off, buddy. These are my cookies. This went back and forth now for the whole bag of cookies. He would reach in and take a cookie. Then she would reach in and take a cookie and eat it in his face. Just look at him. Finally, it came down to one cookie. There was one cookie left. He reached in and took it. He broke it in half. <laughs> Gave her half of it. Oh, man, it just burned up. She took that half a cookie, put it in her mouth. About that time, they called that her plane was ready, ready to board. So she got up, and she was going to get her ticket out of her purse. When she opened her purse, <laughs> there was her unopened bag of cookies. Yeah. Not only had the man not been eating her cookies, she had been eating his cookies. You see, the very simple fact of your life right now is that the very things that you think are your own, they are not your own. Ecclesiastes chapter 11. Let's start with verse 4. Let's talk about your life. Here we go. This is fun stuff. Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 4. Kind of like a proverb, listen to what it says. Farmers who wait for perfect weather never plant. If they watch every cloud, they never harvest. Just as you cannot understand the path of the wind or the mystery of a tiny baby growing in its mother's womb, so you cannot understand the activity of God who does all Plant your seed in the morning and keep busy all afternoon for you don't know if profit will come from one activity or another or maybe both. 
Light is sweet. How pleasant to see a new day dawning. When people live to be very old, let them rejoice in every day of life. But let them also remember there will be many dark days. Everything still to come is meaningless. Young people, it's wonderful to be young. Enjoy every minute of it. Do everything you want to do. Take it all in. But remember, remember that you must give an account to God for everything you do. You must give account to God for everything. Remember. You ever uh, babysat like a toddler, two, three-year-old kid? Um, at that age, when kids first begin learning language, they sort of get stuck on sort of two words. The first word is no. Yeah, no. When a kid first learns the word no, it, it just sticks with them for a while. They'll say no. But then there's another word, two or three years old, where they say mine. <laughs> yeah, y'all know about that, don't you? Uh, mine. Yeah, it's, it's amazing how a toddler, two or three-year-old kid, will, will get stuck on that word mine. Now, in a toddler's world, if they see something, it, it's mine. You understand? If I see it, it, it's mine. And if it's in your hand, it's still mine. You understand? And if I play with it and lay it down and walk away, it, it's still mine. I mean, in a toddler's world, everything is, is mine. Now, experts say that the reason that all of us as children go through that phase is that we must learn that we have a relationship to the things in our world. Think about that. Experts say that, that as children, we have to learn that we have a relationship to all the things in our world. I would just like to suggest to you that, that you do have a relationship to all the things in your world, but most people are still stuck in the toddler phase. You with me? You're stuck in the toddler phase because when you see the things in your world, what's the first word that comes into your mind? Mine. Mine. You see your house and you think, mine. You look at the car, it, it, it's mine. You, you tend to still be fixated on that idea of mine. I just want to suggest to you that according to Scripture, you do have a relationship to the things in this world, but it is not a relationship of ownership. It's not yours. All of the things, all of the things in this world that you call yours are not yours. Very, very difficult for those of us with toddler minds to grasp. But you don't own anything. Remember, Psalms 24 verse 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and Everything in it. Interestingly, the Hebrew word there for everything means everything, y'all. You understand? He owns everything. That means he owns you. That means he owns everything that you pretend that you own. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, he is the owner. And there's only one owner. You're not it. God owns everything. You don't understand, Brother Tim. I work every day of my life and I've worked hard for what I have. Well, Precious, do something with me. Do something with me, Precious. Take your hand right now. Place it on your chest right there. Feel your heartbeat. Can you feel it? 
If you can't, you should probably signal to us. Somebody needs to uh, come to you. You feel it? Okay. You who work so hard for everything you got, feel that heartbeat? Not a thing you can do to keep that going, you know that? I mean, I know you're eating your brand cereal and all of that, but, but you understand. Those beats just keep coming. And you haven't done anything to earn that. And you can't maintain that. So, it, it's a gift. It's life, and, and it's a gift. And the fact that... Uh, that I get one more of those heartbeats, you understand? Um, it doesn't come from me. I, I don't own that. See, the, there's a God who is the giver of life, and he gives me life and, and, and breath in my lungs. And that heartbeat and breath that you use every day to go to work and work for everything that you got, you don't understand. You don't have anything. I mean, if, if you don't have that heart beating in your chest and and those lungs filling up with air, which incidentally, you, you borrow that from the Lord. You know that, right? I mean, the breath in your lungs, you, you borrow that. You don't own anything. You don't own anything. I, I don't either. It's a gift. I, I just am blessed to live life and to have another heartbeat and to take another breath and, and, and simply to be alive today in, in itself is a gift I don't deserve and, and there's nothing I can do to earn it. it it's just a, a God who continues to, to give life to me. So, so, so I'm not the owner and neither are you, but we do have a relationship to our lives, to everything around us. And, and in scriptural terms, biblical terms, if we're not owners, what are we? The biblical word would be steward. I, I'm a steward. We talk about stewardship. Now, usually in church, when the pastor's going to talk about stewardship, what's he going to talk about? Money. <laughs> yeah, yeah, y'all, y'all been to that church, huh? Uh, usually, when the pastor comes about stewardship, you assume it's going to be about money. But I want to go a, a, a step further back because I feel like that most of our problem with our money goes goes back further than just your checkbook. The fact is, if you're not clear about who owns your money, then it's probably also true that you're not clear about who owns everything else. Let's go all the way back and talk about who owns everything. And that is the Lord. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. You're not the owner, so you're the steward. A steward is simply someone who manages what belongs to somebody else. A steward is one with responsibility. A steward doesn't have any rights. Owners have rights. But stewards have responsibilities. And the responsibility of the steward, according to Scripture, is to be found faithful. It is the responsibility of stewards to be found faithful. And so the question becomes, faithful to what? Well, what is our responsibility if we're simply entrusted to care for, to manage, to somehow deal with what God gives us? Well, simply the responsibility is going to be to manage, to deal with everything that you have, in accordance with the desires and the intentions of the owner. Remember, you're not the owner. You're caring for somebody else's property. The life he gives you comes from him. So therefore, you have to live your life in such a way where you know that you're living in according to his desires and his intentions for your life. It comes from him, not from you. 
So everything that God gives you, and honestly, if we were to stop and ask the question, what does God give you? The answer is everything. Everything that you have, the breath in your lungs, the the beating of your heart, the money in your pocket, the house you live in, the job that you have, the school that you go to, you understand? All of that, all of that is from God. And you have a responsibility, a very important responsibility to deal with all of this in the way that God wants you to deal with it. You must find his purposes for all of this and then see that they get fulfilled. You're the steward. You with me? So take a look at Ecclesiastes chapter 11, is for fun, and let's look at the way that God intends for us to manage what he gives us, intends for us to fulfill his purposes. Just a few things. Verse 4, it's a proverb, so we're going to have to read it and then sort of dig down into it to tease the meaning out. Here's what it says. Farmers who wait for perfect weather never plant. What's that mean? Perfect weather. Where do we live? Kentucky. Kentucky. How many days of perfect weather do we ever get? Now, we have some moments of perfect weather. But if you walk in the house and come back out, all of a sudden, it's all gone. I mean, it changes very, very quickly. If you wait for perfect weather, you'll never do anything. It's just what the proverb says here. So what is the principle? If we're trying to manage what God gives us, live our lives in the way God wants us to live, then what's the first principle here? Y'all aren't going to like this because I know you people. Uh, But here we go. God loves courage more than caution. God loves courage more than caution. If you wait around for perfect circumstances, you'll never do anything because nothing's ever perfect. I remember when Casey and I were, were first married, and so we were going to wait till everything was just right before we moved to Louisville. And then we eventually realized that nothing's ever going to be just right, so eventually we just had to move. And then you start talking about when you'll have children, and we decided to wait until we had enough money to afford a kid. How many kids would you have if you waited until you could afford one? Never. We'd never have kids. If they came with a price tag and we could see what it was going to cost... We'd leave them on the shelf. And this is the principle. You just can't live your life so cautiously. You cannot always try to wait around for things to be perfect. If you're waiting for perfection, you'll never do anything. And God did not create you. God did not put you on this earth. He does not give you breath to breathe and a heart that beats. He doesn't give you that so that you can sit at home and watch entire seasons on Netflix on a weekend. Understand? He has more for you. He has a purpose for you. And you've got to learn to live courageously. God loves courage more than he loves caution. Now, I'm not saying you be stupid. Understand? We're not saying that you live foolishly. God doesn't love foolishness. I'm not saying that you just go out and take the plunge and, and, and live your life in such a manner where you cannot possibly, possibly say that you're living according to God's purposes. But you cannot let fear You cannot let over-caution keep you from doing the things that God created you to do. God created you for a large purpose, his purpose. You've got to find that. Now, it's scary. 
It's scary to think about your life being something important. There's something paralyzing about thinking about the fact that God may have something big for you. It makes you just want to go back home and get under the covers, you know, and, and just wait till it all blows over. But, but God says, no, no, live, breathe, and do it courageously. You've got to live courageously. You understand? A kid named Sam got a big um, electric scooter for Christmas one year. He was so excited. It was Christmas Day, but still that they went out and, and, and got the thing on the driveway, and, and Sam started pushing off, and Mom was out there. It's one of those Christmas presents that was more Dad's idea than Mom's idea, and Mom thought it was a bad idea from the start. She called it the scooter of death, you know, even at the store. Uh, but Sam got on the scooter, and he started going up and down the driveway on Christmas morning. Dad was so excited. Sam was excited, and then all of a sudden, Sam wiped out. On the driveway, just sort of wiped out, a little bit of road burn on his thigh. I, I, I mean, he, he wiped out big. He cried. Mom picked Sam up and walked past Dad and just glared at him. Put my son on the scooter of death and took him in. And she said, you get rid of that thing, yeah, the scooter. Yeah. Dad parked it in the garage, left it in the garage. Then they fell into kind of a pattern in the family after that. Every time they'd walk out, out the door and, and in through the garage, Sam would kind of look at that scooter over there against the wall. He'd never say anything. He'd just look at that scooter like it was going to get him, you know. He'd look at that scooter. Every now and then, Dad would say, you want to take it back out on the driveway? Sam would go, uh-uh, Daddy, uh-uh. And Mama would say, you get rid of that thing. You get rid of that thing. But it went on and on. And Sam would look at that scooter. He'd look at it. Dad would say, you want to take it out, don't you? You want to take it out? Uh-uh, Daddy, uh-uh. And then one day, Dad said, you want to take it out, don't you? You want to ride that scooter again, don't you? And Sam said, I do. I do. So he got back on the scooter and he rode. You understand? He rode down the driveway. He rode joyously. He rode victoriously. It was a ride he had to take. You know what I mean? I mean, sometimes in your life, there are just rides you got to take. And there's a risk involved. He could crash and burn again, you understand? He could knock out all of his teeth. He could ruin all of the orthodontic work they had been paying for since third grade. I mean, of course, awful things can happen. Awful things can always happen. But this is the point. If you think for a moment that you're going to live your life in such a way that will please God and at the same time not entail any risk, you're mistaken. And you're going to waste your life. You're going to waste your life. You simply cannot let the fear of failure keep you from doing what God created you to do. Do you understand? So sometimes you just got to go plant the church. And sometimes you just got to go ahead and marry the girl. And sometimes you just got to go right on ahead and quit your job and open the restaurant. Or you just got to do what you've got to do. You're born to do this. You understand? You can't let the fear of failure keep you from doing what God created you to do. And you can't wait around till everything's perfect. Go ahead. Have another baby. You'll be so happy and you'll be so poor. But you're doing what God created you to do. Just do what God created you to do. You were born for this. And there are rides that you've just got to take. Go ahead and apply to the awesome college. You could flunk out. I mean, you could fail. 
We could always fail. Shoot, I'm the idiot that said, let's play at 20 churches by 2020. We could fail. Big time. I'm going to be sick on that first Sunday in 2020 probably. I mean, I may just be afraid to show my face. Do you think? No. I'll come no matter what. I mean, so what if we fail? I mean, we planted one church. We wouldn't have planted one church if I hadn't said, let's play at 20. I mean, you just got to go. You just got to jump. You cannot let the fear of failure stop you from doing stuff. Because listen, the only thing worse than the fear of failure is a pain of regret. Everyone will look back and say, man, I, I wish I'd have tried that. I just wish I'd have done that. I wish I'd have said that. I wish I'd have gone. You just can't get to that point in your life when the doors of opportunity are closed. You understand? Some opportunities only come up one time. You got to do it. You just got to do it. And you can't always wait. And you can't always wait until maybe there's less risk. Sometimes you just have to live. And you just have to decide. And you just have to go. And you got to go big. And this is what the scripture says. God loves courage more than he loves caution. You and I love caution, but guess what? We're not the owners. We don't have final say. We're supposed to live this life in the way God gave us this life to live it, and he didn't give it to us so that we could just sort of waste it with small things. Go for big things. Live courageously. Verse 5. Just as you, I love this, just as you cannot understand the path of the wind or the mystery of a tiny baby growing in its mother's womb. Beautifully, the Hebrew there literally says you don't understand the way the bones come together in a mother's womb. I love that. The way the bones come together. You don't understand that. So you cannot understand the activity of God who, who does all things. Second basic principle for your life. Just because you don't know what God is doing doesn't mean God doesn't know what he's doing. And you're hardly ever going to know what God is doing. I hate to, I mean, in other news, you're just not going to know what God is doing. You're, you're just never going to know. Because what God does, notice the examples here. It's like the wind. Uh, the wind is invisible. You can feel it when it blows, but you can't see it. You, you can harness it, but you can't control it. You can't make it start or make it stop. It's, it's wild. It's free. It's invisible. And, and you can't understand that. You can't see that. And most everything that God does is like that. You, you can see the effects of it. You can either be in the path of it, but you can't start it. You can't stop it. You'll never really understand it. It's like when the bones come together in a mother's womb as, as, as a baby is formed. It's in the darkness. It's, it's in the silence. Scientists can study it. They can't ever start it or stop it. It's just God's work. And, and everything God does is like that. God works for the most part in silence and in secret and in darkness. And, and then suddenly it's revealed and, and you understand. But often that's somewhere way down the road. Usually you just have to trust him. You just have to trust him. Do you understand? 
I mean, you were that baby being formed in your mother's womb way back when. Do you remember that? But because that's interesting, you don't remember that, do you? When your very bones were coming together inside your mother's belly, you don't remember that, do you? But the fact is God remembers that because he was doing that. You understand? He was in control of your life then. When you were nothing but what, like protoplasm or something. You were nothing, but God was everything, and he owned your life then. He controlled your life then. He called your atoms into being. You understand this? And so if he was controlling your life then, and if he owned your life then, then don't you understand? You're not in control now. And if you think you are, you're painfully mistaken. You're not the owner of this thing. You're not in charge of this thing. You don't want to call the shots. I, I know there's a part of you that wants to be in control. There's a part of you that wants to make a plan and follow a plan. But this is what you don't understand. You don't know enough to make the plan. You, you want to do some long-range strategizing, but you don't see far enough to do any long-range strategizing. The life that you have is God's life. He gives it to you. He has a purpose for you. And all of the days of your life were written in his book when you were still in your mama's belly. That's what the Bible says. It's, it's his life in you, so you've got to find his purposes for you. This is what you want. Now, our assumption sometimes is that if we find God's path for us, that's going to be dull. That God's going to suck all the fun out of everything. That he's going to send me off somewhere to Africa to be a missionary. And I'll be poor. And I'll be eating dirt. Somewhere in seminary learning Greek and Hebrew. Like who cares? You really don't understand, do you? He made you. And he's the only one who really knows what he put in you. You don't know. But I promise you, when you're doing what God created you to do, you will be blissfully, eternally happy. You will know from the very bottom of your heart that you're doing God's will and that you're living the life that you were born to live. Do you understand? You can't know what God's ways are, but you have to trust him and you have to find him. And you just simply got to, simply got to trust his knowledge over yours. You're not the owner. Of this thing. You're never going to understand his ways. But you sure want to know that he's having his way with your life. Verse 6. Plant your seed in the morning. Keep busy all afternoon. Go ahead and underline that little verse right there. That would be good for you. Keep busy all afternoon. Now, notice that it never says, keep busy all afternoon until it's time for Ellen. No, it's just keep busy. You get up in the morning, you start planting, you work in the morning, and you keep busy all afternoon. You work. Because you don't know what God's going to bless. That's what the, the writer of Ecclesiastes says. You don't know what God's going to bless. You don't know what's going to be successful, one activity or another. You, you just don't know. You never know. We were just talking about that. But understand, it's a third principle here. You're not in control of the outcome. You don't know what God's going to bless, honestly. You don't know. You'll never know. You don't know what God will bless. So you're not in charge of the outcome. But you are in control of the input. 
that make any sense? Because y'all are looking at me like it doesn't. You can't control the outcome. You, you can control the input. The bottom line here is that God wants you working for him. For his purposes, this isn't just about working so that you can have a lot of things, so that you can live the American dream. The writer of Ecclesiastes knows nothing about the American dream. This is about God's purposes for your life. Remember, he's the owner. And the fact is, he created you to work and be busy. He did not make you for idleness. He did not create you so you could enjoy some me time. Understand? You have no me time. As a matter of fact, why don't you, while we're all here and while God is here, go ahead and tell God to his face that you want some me time. I like to hear him laugh at you. There's no such thing as me time. Do I need to do that whole heartbeat thing with you again? As long as your heart is beating, God has work for you to do, and it has nothing to do with you enjoying me time. It's all God's time. And as long as you have some of it, you should be doing his work. You work for him. You stay busy. Doing a lot of stuff, according to the writer here. Get up in the morning and do something. In the afternoon, just keep on doing other things because you really don't know which is going to be successful. You'll never know. You cannot control how things turn out, but you certainly have a lot of control over what you put into it. And I think the advice of Scripture is you put into it everything God has given you. You just turn everything right back into doing his purposes. Your life is not about you. It's not about what you can enjoy, and it's not about your pleasure, and it's not about you having you time. It's about God getting what he wants out of you. Because he's the owner, remember? You're just supposed to manage what he gives you in the way that he wishes. Your steward. Young people. It's wonderful to be young. <laughs> it's wonderful to be young. I can remember being, being at a church ball game, and I think it was Adrian Cato and, and maybe Don Harris, two of those guys, sitting up on the bleachers, and there were kids just running like crazy, like chimpanzees all around. I mean, just running, throwing dirt, eating rocks. Have y'all seen the kids at the ball game like that? I mean, just running crazy. Adrian leaned over to Don and said, if them boys knew what we know, they'd be trying to save some of that. <laughs> what did Adrian mean? Man, you don't have that kind of energy your whole life. You, you, you just don't. Young people, it's wonderful to be young. Enjoy every minute of it. Do everything you want to do. Take it all in. But remember that you must give an account to God for everything you do. Live your life, the scripture says. Enjoy it. Take it all in. Love every minute of it. Go. Live. Breathe. But understand that you're going to answer to God for every loving minute of it. Every word you speak, every dime you spend, the way you use Every breath you breathe. You're going to give an account to God for everything. And the Hebrew word there for everything means everything, y'all. Just need to remind you. The earth 
is the Lord's and everything in it. He is the owner. And all the things that you think you own, they are not yours. Remember, you will give an account for all of it. All of it. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would bring to this congregation a deep, deep appreciation for life. How precious it is. How valuable it is. Our time. How we can't buy another minute. How we don't have nearly enough time to waste and wish it away. God, I pray that you would give this congregation a revival of courage. That we would stop always being so cautious. Stop always, Lord, calculating the risk. Lord, I pray that you would never let the fear of failure lead us to the point where we know the pain of regret. Lord God, we just get one life to live. Lord, we only have the opportunities of this present moment, and we don't really know that we'll have these opportunities again. So, Lord Jesus, let us not hesitate. Let us live boldly and courageously. Let us take leaps of faith for you. Oh, God, I pray that we would live our lives in such a way where we would see miracles, because only miracles, Lord, only miracles could save us. Lord Jesus, I pray that the people in this room, the people in the sound of my voice who've been sitting on your plan, who've been hesitating, who've been putting things off, who've been calculating and counting, Lord, the ones who've been lazy, Lord, the ones who've continued to ask you, Lord, to pass them by or call somebody else, Lord, the ones who know exactly what they need to do but they just won't do it, Lord, I pray that today is the day they move. I pray, Lord, that the day is today and you would bring dead people to life in this house, Lord. I pray that we would learn to live. And I pray, Lord, that we would learn that it is in you and only you that we live and move and have our being. Lord, let us celebrate this heartbeat because it just might be the last. But may all our hearts beat for you. Oh God, everything is yours. We are yours. May we live for you. We pray these things in your holy name. Amen. Stand. Let's sing. Let's make solid these promises that we're making to God in our hearts. The altar's open if you wish to come forward to pray. If you have a physical need for a healing, the deacons will meet you on the baptistry side to pray with you. Whatever God's